we forget what it was like when we were a player and what would we have wanted our coach to provide us with? What would we have wanted our coach to talk to us like? And if you can kind of meditate on that more and more often, you, you'll go into your practice that day or your game that day with a much more human approach, which players seem to react much more positively to. And, you know, Ken Revisa said, it's the players will care about what you're teaching if they first know you care about them. Another part of a well-rounded athlete is having a sound mind, just like you want them to have a strong body, and it'll help you win games, which is, you know, how we keep jobs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. I don't know if I'm feeling extra grateful today because of the week we just had in the classroom, because I turned 32 a few days ago, or if it's because of my guest today, but I just really want you to know how much I appreciate you. Seriously, it means the world to me that you have found at least some level of value in the work I've been doing over the last 10 months and connecting with all these amazing coaches. So seriously, thank you for tuning in. It really does mean a lot to me. And a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring yet another episode of the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Baseball, softball, giant markets for netting pros, but they have customers in pretty much every sport you can imagine, including but certainly not limited to football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, and golf courses. They are truly making facilities better all across the country, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and, of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They are amazing, and they're improving programs one facility at a time. And if you're listening to this in the same month in which it went live, it's May, which means it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Big fist bump to the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation for sponsoring all of our episodes this month. AAAD is dedicated to providing resources to anyone dealing with a mental health issue by taking a modern approach to mental health. Through raising awareness and funds, AAAD is able to provide resources like free therapy to those that are suffering. It's also now proud to offer the Mental Health Manual and Companion Journal where you can get to work on your own mental health. Visit aaadf.org and mentalhealthmanual.org for more information and let's all be the change for mental health. And with that, I have the first ever repeat guest. It's China McCarney, the Jager Sports VP and the founder of the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation. I don't know if it's the bond we share over the office or his self-deprecating humor, but I absolutely love him. You can check out a bunch of links in the show notes to go along with today's episode, including a link to go back and hear episode 16 when China first appeared on the club. Here in episode 34, China goes even deeper into the mental game and how you can impact your student athletes in addition to how you can help yourself be a little bit better. So let's dive in. It's episode 34 with China McCartney. All right. Hey, China. Thank you for coming back on the show again. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, pumped to be with you again. I'm excited. I really enjoyed our first conversation and having you second time feels like a slam dunk. And uh, I know last time uh, we uh, we were at that point in life where the office was going off of Netflix and uh, I know you have you have Peacock now. So congratulations. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, 
thank you so much. And um, it's 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 been a uh, lifetime accomplishment to get the office back after it left me. So it's uh, feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. What's the last uh, time you watched it? Uh, today. I watched about four episodes today. Just It's kind of like my background music like we talked about last time where it's just always on for me. And uh, today was casino night and then the beginning of season three. So, yeah, it was it was a good day. That's awesome. Yeah, we we miss it. We haven't given in yet, but it's it's we're running out of time. I miss it. Just the like you said, like having it in the background, man. It's 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 hard to <laughs> hard to find a show that's similar to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, obviously we've had you on the show before. So if anybody hasn't, hasn't heard you speak yet, they're welcome to, to head back into the archives and go back to episode 16. So I don't want to go too deep down a road. We've already gone. Uh, but just for those who haven't heard that episode or who don't know who you are, can you just break it to our audience? Like succinct style, who is China McCartney? Absolutely. So I am the vice president and CFO of Jager Sports. In Southern California, most people know the J-Bands, that's us. And then I'm the founder of Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation, um, aaadf.org, where we kind of just do anything and everything for mental health resources, getting people help they need, free therapy, and uh, trying along with everybody to break the stigma attached to uh, mental health. That, that's very succinct. That was extremely well done. <laughs> I was wondering how he's going to pack in the whole life and you did it really, really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that, well, that kind of leads in, in pretty well for people because that's kind of obviously the push we're making right now is kind of more the mental side, obviously. Um, and so again, mainly for people who, who don't know much about you, why are you someone who's kind of qualified to dive into the mental health side of, of athletics and life really? Yeah. Um, so I suffered my first panic attack in 2009, which was my junior year of college, which is the big draft year. I was projected to go pretty high uh, in the draft. And just it was kind of a culmination of everything at that time. And I had the panic attack in 09 uh, with just my girlfriend at the time. And then my dad was the only one that knew about it. And I hid it for six years. I didn't tell anybody. Didn't want professional scouts to see me as weak because of panic attacks or anxiety or depression I was going through. Um, and so there was a six year gap between panic attack and getting help and living kind of two different lives. One on the outside that we touched on in the other episode of, you know, going high in the draft, potentially getting a degree, everything looked good from the outside, but on the inside it was anything, but I was struggling and, um, once I reached out in 2015 for free therapy, um, it gave me permission to be who I truly was and to let the world know what I was going through and realize that so many other people were going through um, some sort of battle. And so it just got me on this crusade. It came, you know, my competition after baseball is to, you know, just try to negate anyone going through six years of torment without feeling like there's help. And so that's kind of just um, where I come at this from. And I feel kind of fortunate, to be honest with you, to have gone through it because I feel I have a very unique perspective as being a one-time, not anymore, high-level athlete, <laughs> a high-level <laughs> athlete, seeing the showcase circuit, seeing different levels of professional baseball, but then also playing and living in the arena of someone that deals with debilitating panic attacks that can't go into a grocery store at times that 
feels like the fetal position is the only way they can keep living sometimes. And so I kind of have a little bit of both um, to where I can draw off of experience to share with, you know, whether it's a high level athlete or somebody dealing, I can kind of come at it with a unique perspective of both. Yeah, I, it kind of brings up for me, I, I won't go into too many specifics. I don't want anyone to like start looking up and trying to figure out who the kid is. But uh, there's, a, there's a kid who goes to our school who um, I had in class uh, recently. Uh, this actually came up yesterday, really. And uh, just some things going on in class. So I shot an email to both his parents, just letting you know, like, not a big deal, just letting you know some things going on. And it kind of set off a firestorm of knowledge for me that I've learned about this young man and all these things that he's dealing with. He, he happens to play a sport at our school. And it just like all this stuff has unraveled over the last like 48 hours of all these kind of mental health struggles that he's had dating back to like sixth grade or fifth grade. And you would have no idea through like the daily interactions with him that all that stuff has been and is going on in his, in his life. It just like, so when you're talking about like having two lives, like I'm seeing a lot of that play out this year, maybe more than I've seen before with athletes. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. And that, I think that comes down to just the fear of perception where, especially, you know, high school age, I can remember that time of you were worried about the type of shoes you were wearing and the, you know, the clothes you had on and what people thought um, almost more than any other time. And so I think that fear of perception can cause people to, you know, live the way they think people want to, uh, to see them instead of who they truly are. Um, So I think it's, it's common and hopefully with the more and more talk with the mental health landscape and that it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes hopefully that will, uh, change over time. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I, we were talking off air a little bit about this, but, um, when we talk COVID and, and this quarantine life and all this remote work and everything like that, um, what you, you know, we were talking about, one of the cool things that's come about, it is this ability to connect to each other, virtually um and and giving you opportunities to talk to teams that maybe in uh in normal life you wouldn't be making maybe possibly wouldn't be making trips like up to nova scotia like we were talking about and so (laughs) there's all these cool opportunities that have come about and kind of you know again going back to what we talked about last time the the idea of life is kind of how you perceive it and covid can certainly be looked at as a you know awful time but at the same time there are some definite benefits and i think one of those is that this push for mental health is is kind of coming to the forefront for a lot of coaches who maybe didn't think much about it before. Yeah, no, and that's a great point. And I think the, the opportunity we've been given with so much downtime um, or working from home or controlling our hours more than we did before, it's given us a chance to pause like we talked about last time and have perspective on it. And mental health has come up a tremendous amount because not only of things that people dealt with during this pandemic, but what's going to be the effects coming because, you know, we had 12, 14, 16 months in some parts where, you know, our youth had no access to social interaction, development, stuff like that. They were sitting in front of a screen because that's all we could do. And so it just needs to be prioritized and just talked about so that there isn't, um, significant negative ramifications and we could actually use it for like you you were saying a conduit to bring everything to the forefront make it normal to talk about and give resources and tools if anybody is struggling for sure well yeah one of the that idea of kids being um i don't know away from sport or from uh, adults outside their home or even their peers right whatever it might be 
Um, just we just finished up our high school baseball season last Saturday, so we're we're basically a week away from it now, um, mm-hmm. and kind of having this week to kind of step back, reflect on a lot of things, obviously. But one thing that really stood out this year more than any other year before is that I had a lot of guys, especially junior seniors who in normal, you know, years, you wouldn't expect this to be the case as much, but this year just really struggling with, I don't know, normally we call it like mental toughness, right? Mental strength, Mm -hmm. but just this idea of like, um, like an example would be like in a game, maybe a guy on second base, this happened a couple times through the year. There's less than two outs. So on a fly ball, obviously we should be going back to the base at some point. Uh, and guys just taking off for home and ball gets caught, they get doubled off and then they realize what happens and, and or what happened. And then the reaction to it. Um, I noticed this year, not, um, not just among our team, but other teams we played, the reactions to negativity were so much more visible um, than they've ever been before. Whereas in the past, a lot of times guys would, you know, they'd get over it quickly and move on. And this year, just probably as a result of being home for 12 months, like it was really apparent that people, kids are really struggling with like how to deal with even my, like, so what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Big deal. Like life goes on. We're fine. But I just noticed that a lot this year that there was just a lot of big reactions, big, like, emotional reactions to things that probably shouldn't elicit that kind of a response. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's like an external sign of what's going on inside, like you said, and that's, it's just coming from just such a, a place of torment and turmoil within because of the way the world has been. And like we talked about not being able to process things. And when I'm working with athletes right now, that's one of the biggest questions I'm getting. I got it today again is how can you stop the negative thought snowball? Like, what do you do to when like stuff starts to get out of control and everything? And that's been coming up more and more and more. And um, I think that is a result of just, it's amazing how quick life can change if your routine gets thrown off and you're, you're not exposed to, you know, as much love, social interaction, you know, even hugs, like embracing, like that's important. And uh, we haven't had that for a while. I'm a big smiler. I smile at everyone. And it's like, oh yeah, no one can see my smile under this mask. So it's like, you're not getting <laughs> smiles even. You don't even know how anybody's looking at you. Uh, you're not kidding. I have to, I'm a huge smiler too. People kind of make fun of me in a nice way, <laughs> but just like, they're like, why are you so happy all the time? Like, I don't know. I just, yeah. I just smile. But like, same. I find myself exaggerating my smile when I'm wearing a mask, like to make sure that my eyes kind of squint and that people can know that I'm smiling and I'm not just kind of staring blankly through them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But that'll happen. That the, you're right though. Like the lack of hugging, I'm a big hugger, uh, with, with players. And that was hard this season of this weird, like I, you know, I can give you a fist bump sort of a thing, but that's about as, as much as I can give you. That was weird. Senior night, not being able to hug our guys also weird. And so even when we came back to in-person school and back to our sports season and we were able to play like it's, it's, we still obviously weren't all the way back yet. And so even among that, I felt like I couldn't really provide my guys with the environment I wanted to, because I couldn't even like put my arm around a kid as much as I want to and be like, Hey man, we're okay. <laughs> this is all right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Feeling that as well. We felt that at the Jager sports office. Cause we're, you know, we're all buddies and friends and the CEO is going to be the officiant at my wedding. That's how close we are. And, <laughs> 
it's like for a year plus now, at the end of every single day, even in the mornings when I would get there, we'd always give each other the bro handshake and they give each other a hug to start the day and to end the day. And we, you know, now it's just like, all right, bye. See ya. <laughs> yeah. That was always an awkward part too at the end of our practices too. It's kind of like, okay, <laughs> adios. <laughs> we're, bye. we're done. Yeah, yeah. It's over now. Always, always super weird. So yeah. you mentioned that like you, when you're talking to teams, that's one of the questions that comes up a lot is how, how do, how can we help players who are, you know, when, when things start to snowball and get out of control, in terms of in their reactions to things and then how that obviously affects performance on the next pitch or next play or even three, four plays down the road. What, what's, what's your typical kind of response when teams or coaches are asking you that kind of question? Yeah, um, absolutely. So there's two, there's two kind of answers. There's the like in the moment, short-term results. If you're starting to experience a mental snowball, this could be, a panic attack off the field. It can be worrying way too much about the results on the field. Bases are loaded, two outs, blah, blah, blah. Our head starts to go. And so in the moment, all it's really about is getting your brain, like almost putting like a pothole in the way. Cause it, it starts going down that hill and it starts to gain momentum. And if you don't stop it, it's just going to keep picking it up. It's going to start to feel the panic attack sensation. It's going to bring up other panic attacks that you've had in the past, the worst case scenario, all this stuff. And so we just need to trick the brain into getting off that path. So like with um, the athletes that I've been working with, I asked them for some of the words that they think is funny or some of the words that make them happy, right? And one kid said Fortnite. He likes Fortnite. And so I said, okay, when you feel yourself in the game and you start to think way too much, just think about Fortnite and it'll make you laugh and it'll just bring you back to the moment and the the moment will have a lot less power over you. That's kind of the in the moment thing. And then like for myself in the moment, if I'm having a panic attack in public or something, I go to my senses. I do immersion. So I go, what's three things that I can see right now? Red car, Nike shoes, a dog. What's three things I can hear? There's a jet in the sky, air conditioning, blah, blah, blah. And that's all just to get away from the snowball. And that's the in the moment. And then the more kind of in-depth work stuff is like practice stuff, I should say, not work, um, is you practice on defining like your process. What's a process that you can control every single pitch so that it's not about not knowing the bases are loaded or not knowing that there's two outs or that the situation's a big deal. We're athletes, we're human, we're going to feel that. But what can I get back to as a default to focus on right before pitch-to-pitch competition? So like our basic one at Jager Sports is deep breath, focal point, attack. So if I'm a pitcher, I take a deep breath, I get a great focal point for what pitch I'm throwing, and then I attack with fastball mentality. As a hitter, get grounded, deep breath, see the ball well, attack and hit it where I need to. Um, But those are ways, kind of an in-the-moment little short fix, and then the other one takes practice. You have to define it, and then you really have to try to implement it pitch-to-pitch in-game. What can you control and what's out of your control? And uh, the more we focus on the things we can control, our talent's going to take over and hopefully give us the results we want anyway. We talked last time about like what you can do as a coach in terms of like you, you even did that guided meditation. So we can take time uh, at the start of practice and focus on learning how to get present, getting into our breath, that sort of a thing. Um, one thing we we probably didn't get into that I can remember that as I'm listening to you speak, it's like, oh, we should do this too, is implementing that focus 
within our practice too. So as a coach setting up, uh, I don't know, high stress situations or things that obviously will happen in a game and explicitly providing that opportunity and talking through it with players about making sure that they're doing those things that we just talked about, that getting a focus point, what can I control, that sort of a thing. And this is why I love doing things like this because you just taught me and that I need to write that down right after we're done here because that's (laughs) such a – because when we do mental practice for the most part and we're talking to coaches and how to implement it and laying down and process and this and that, but it just like gave me the chills and hit me right in the gut because if you – you know, you have two sides. You have the defense and the offense. We would do stuff like this in high school where – there's a consequence, right? Ooh, the mm-hmm. team that loses has to clean up the field or blah, blah, blah. So you go second and third, down by one, offensive team, and you have the hitter, and you talk through all that stuff is there, but it's irrelevant. You need to focus on your – like actually doing it with them, which seems like such a simple concept, but that's I think one of the big things we talked about last time too where you know, oftentimes the gap – between mental training and physical performance isn't bridged it's like we'll work on mental practice and then tell them how it can be implemented in the game but actually practicing like that for coaches out there like I've never even thought about that which that that's a that could be an incredible thing because then there's consequences but it's in practice so there's less judgment and if the coach is working through the process with you and you're doing it as a team that could be freaking magical well, I had a, I think it was after the episode with you, I, I talked with a guy named Kyle Mickles, who's a, a baseball coach in Texas. And it was really fascinating because he went really deep into, I think he called them failure models, but it was the idea of setting up practice. And his goal was basically for you, like for you, China, to get to fail at some point in practice and get pissed off mm. and like kind of find your breaking point in a safe and healthy way. And then kind of talk through that. And so it's kind of like bridging those two things of setting up that high pressure situation in practice that mimics, obviously, we'd seen a game and then combining it with the mental side of it, which obviously, like you said, once those are bridged, like that's, that's where we want to be. And so I don't, I don't, I was just kind of thinking out loud, like trying to see the two and where they connect to each other. Yeah, no. And that's, that's awesome. Cause like I said, that's a huge learning moment for when, when we talk to coaches and how to practice it and how to implement it, that's something they're going to be more comfortable with and, you know, laying their players down and talking them through a meditation, which is still very, very valuable. But that's something that you can, you can almost implement mental training and not lose any practice time that you have for your physical training. You can set up a situation because that's always the, you know, one of the barriers we come with with coaches is just, practice time and we get it you know you've got to maximize your practice time and this and that but that's a way to kind of accomplish both at the same time and do it together which is another key point where your players will will buy in a lot more when it's kind of a inclusive and judgment-free zone where you're just trying to get better yeah that's a good point too because when we're doing things like guided meditations and stuff it can take it can take a handful even and some guys may never buy in even no matter how much we we get into it but I I think a player even if they're not quite buying into that part of it maybe the pre-practice stuff I think they obviously would see the benefit of the in 
like during practice stuff that we were just talking about. And then maybe in a certain, you know, in, <laughs> they'll connect the circles and then figure out the first one. And, or maybe they never will. I'm not sure. I don't right. Know. <laughs> no, absolutely. But that's, that's pretty cool. Cause I, like I said, that's one of the best parts about doing this stuff is you just, you learn. And I think the best coaches never stop learning. And that's going to be something I write down in my little notebook after this. And uh, yeah. I won't tell too many people. I won't tell any high schools in Oregon. How about that? <laughs> I don't, you could tell. It's okay. We, we didn't win a whole lot this spring, so maybe you should tell a bunch of stuff. I don't know. Maybe it'll all work out. <laughs> uh, that's what, Well, that's one of the things, too, like with all this that I've figured out, too, is that meeting all these people and talking to all of them and hearing all the cool things they do, it's really hard not to just you know, take a million notes and then be like, okay, I'm going to implement like all 400 of these things next year. We're going to totally change the way we do them. And obviously that doesn't work. And so you got to kind of pick and choose the things that do work for you. But I think, I think every coach would benefit a ton from implementing some sort of mental practice stuff, because obviously like we want our kids to be mentally tough or whatever you want to call it. We want them to be mentally healthy. But like we talked about last time, there's often this disconnect of like cool that's where i want them to be here's where they are now i don't know how to connect those two and and get them there you know what i mean yeah no and that's i think um that's when i when i have a coach that's on the fence or whatnot i'll talk to him about this is going to help you win games and it's like you're not just going to tell your player you want him to be a better hitter you're going to try to provide him tools and help him with bp and do all this stuff to help him hit better but if you want him to be good at handling adversity and you're not doing anything for it, then it's not the player's failure, it's yours. And uh, that's it seems to kind of resonate. Another thing that resonates that I've kind of learned to verbalize over the last year or two is like, if you have a player that sprains his ankle, you're not going to judge that player. You're going to get ice treatment. You're going to get them back to where they need to be physically so that they can perform and play for the team and everything. And so if you can start to look at any mental health, mental strength, Anything that they're struggling with, it's just an injury. And you just need to provide them with the resources to get them back to 100% to perform for the team. And you're helping them develop as a human being as well. And I think the more close we can get to that in athletics and in society, I think the better. Because then people are going to be less and less afraid to share. And the detrimental effects will be much less if they're willing to get help sooner and not try to hide it from the coach that they're feeling a little depressed or anxious or whatnot. Well, I think you hit it like it's the human being part, right? Like we, I think as coaches, sometimes we get lost in our own world and we, we want to win and everybody wants to win and that's great. And we want to send kids off to play in college for whatever sport. And, oh, it'd be really cool if they got drafted into their sport and playing perfect, like all of that is great, but all of your players are going to go into the world and do something and be something, right? They're all going to be people the the sports side of it is going to be whatever it is you can you can work on stuff to help win more and, and whatnot but ultimately like we want deep down i would hope every coach wants kids leaving high school being better people like being prepared for life and right if, you know if we just keep them around and we just focus on the athletic side of things and we don't focus on this other piece um you don't know what what that kid may end up doing in the future that that you could have helped him with right right no absolutely and that's I have a three-step action plan when I like give presentations at conventions or whatever for establishing a mental health culture and actually in the newsletter this week that's um, right (laughs) 
yeah, there's the three, three step action plan, which always ends with be a human being. Um, because like you said, I think as coaches, sometimes we can forget to be human and to forget, we forget what it was like when we were a player and what would we have wanted our coach to provide us with? What would we have wanted, um, our coach to talk to us like, and if you can kind of meditate on that, um, more and more often, you, you'll go into your practice that day or your game that day with a much more human approach, which at least in my opinion and what I've seen, players seem to react um, much more positively to. And um, they, you know, Kendra Viza said, it's the players will care about what you're teaching if they first know you care about them or something along those lines. Well, and he was, he was pretty good at what he did. I think we should probably listen to what he says. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. One thing I want to make sure we get into today is is the mental health manual because obviously it's it's May, so we've been doing this mental health awareness uh, kind of month with our program. Uh, you've been a big part of that. You ended up writing the the last newsletter in May that went out to coaches, uh, and so then also in, in addition to all of that, you also wrote the mental health manual. Correct. Yes, and um, it launches officially June nineteenth. It's available for pre-order right now at mentalhealthmanual.org. But it's it's it kind of came about during COVID, just time on the hands and wanting something tangible. Like if I could give my 15-year-old self or I could give my 60-year-old self something that will always be valuable, lay out mental health resources in a very simple approach. And then there's a companion journal that comes with it that – for each section, there's like three or four questions that just get you mentally stimulated um, thinking about that topic. So there's topics like therapy, exercise, nutrition, sleep, meditation, stuff like that. And just all stuff from research, what's been proven to help um, mental health journeys and um, keeping it short to respect the 2021 attention span <laughs> and um, allowing like I said, I think it doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 100 years old. It's simple enough to where anyone can understand it, but it's thorough enough to give you enough with each resource that you're going to know what it is. That's what what it is, why it'll help, and how to implement it into your life. That's how I approach every resource. What, why, how? What is the resource? Why will the resource help your mental health? And how do you implement it into your daily life? And that's the only thing in the sections. You can get through them in two minutes. and just keep moving on with your day. I was going to say it's the I think it's the first time anyone's ever like sent me a book or something like that before it was published. So first of all, I felt very honored. So thank you. Hey. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not not out in the world yet. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. Like you said the format of it is really cool because it's not like you talked about it's not it doesn't take long to get through each section. And I think that's one of the important parts. Like you kind of jokingly said the attention span that we have today, but it's, you're not lying. Like it's, it's quick and easy to read. And I found it to be actually super helpful. And I could see how, if you were to put it in the hands of a high school kid or a high school coach or your 60 year old grandpa or whatever, like it would be legitimately quick and helpful for them. And you wouldn't feel like you were giving them this giant piece of like homework or something because it genuinely felt good to go through it. Yeah, no, that's, that's good to hear. And that's been the feedback for the most part is that um, like the word calm came up a lot, not like mm -hmm. that it makes you calm, but it's like a calm, easy read. Like a lot of times 
reading can feel like work to certain people. And it's just, um, I just like that each section too. Like if you, you don't need the previous section to read the next section. I mean, you can, and it flows and it's fine. But like, if you open up to volunteering, you're going to get, what is volunteering? Why can it help your mental health? And how do you implement it into your life? And then, like I say in there a few times, if you want to go deep dive on any of the resources, we live in the greatest generation for that with Google and all the access we have right at our fingertips at all times. But this is just a snapshot of the most common resources that have helped people and given you the chance to implement as many as you want and keeping the ones that work for your best uh, mental health recipe. Yeah, there's a bunch of cool sections. I don't obviously want to go into every single one of them, but um, a few that I just kind of highlighted thinking like, oh, for specifically through like the high school lens as coaches, what can we do and how can we use these types of things? Uh, There are a few that stuck out, but I think one of the big ones for me, because I see a lot of coaches doing these cool volunteer things with their players um, through Twitter. And I am admittedly not very good at setting up that sort of stuff for our teams. Uh, but can you go into that part of it? Like what what volunteering does for you for your own mental health? Yeah, absolutely. So anything, I mean, mental health journeys, especially when you're struggling, become self-consuming. And a lot of people's tendency is to kind of recluse, like they'll stay away from other people because they're not feeling great about themselves. And that's when you can just get caught in the mental kind of depression snowball and so volunteering immediately, you're doing something bigger than yourself, something for a group, something for the greater good. Um, there's so many different types of volunteering and they're, they're gone over in the manual. But basically, it helps you get away from your own kind of self-consumption where we can just analyze and analyze and analyze ourselves. And then you're already doing something for the greater good, but you're helping a group accomplish a task. So there's like a community feel. And then most volunteering efforts, you're helping somebody that has a need, you know, that they're, they're not well off or, you know, they need food or whatever it may be. Like I said, there's millions of different ways to volunteer, but there's like a triple positive effect because it gets you out of your own head. It gets you a part of a group, which is an initial support system. And then you're helping others, which in turn helps you. It feels good. It feels good to help others you know, and it helps other people. So there's so many different um, mental health benefits that can just just come from doing something for free for other people and trying to help um, and serving others. So that one was a fun section to write because I did a lot of research kind of outside of my own knowledge. I did with most of them, but that one was very cool because it got me looking in my own neighborhood and stuff with my fiance that we could do. And so it's a pretty powerful one and an easy one to implement. You just have to have give them your time. Yeah, I it brought back a memory of uh, in college, my freshman year, our baseball program. Uh, well, actually, everybody at, at school your freshman year at where I went to college, you had to go and do this kind of volunteering thing for a couple hours on a weekend. And I remember uh, my group uh, went to like a, a retirement home. And I remember like on the way there, this is bringing back memories. I'm thinking the whole thing through. Uh, I, I, so I, I, this is a really long story and it's probably not even going to pay off, but it's okay. I, uh, I, I didn't have like my grandparents had all passed away before I, I grew up. Like I never really met them. And so I wasn't around old people all that much, but <laughs> I was always kind of freaked out by old people hands. 
uh, and they're they veiny and they're kind of I don't know the skin's kind of tired and I remember just being I remember the feeling of going on the way to the retirement home be like oh my gosh like I don't want to have to touch an old person's hand or I'm gonna freak <laughs> out and then we went and did it. it the experience was amazing like I remember the group that I was assigned to my job was like basically going to different old people's rooms like knocking on the door they'd let me in and I basically be like hey do you have any like tasks that you need to get done so it'd be like yeah I need this light bulb changed yeah I need I need to have you wipe down these blinds or clean this window and I remember walking out of it feeling like so good about myself and like feeling like I had done something (laughs) good I was like the old people hands they were fine like nothing went bad about it like it was just a really I remember it being like a really cool experience for somebody who prior to that, I hadn't really done a whole lot of like volunteering or, or helping people out or being around, like I said, being around old people. I think the coolest part about it is like, cause there's a lot of assumptions, even with myself, it's like, you know, it's going to take time or it's going to be hard to find something, but it's like, once you do it, you realize how easy it is to actually volunteer because it's just effort. That's what you're volunteering is effort and care. Um, and so, yeah, those are, those are cool stories. And, uh, now I can't stop picturing old people hands. So thank you for that. <laughs> I know, I know. Someday I'm going to have them, and I'm going to. I don't know what I'm going to do when my own hands look like that. I'll freak out. <laughs> yeah. One of the one of the other things that was in that. Well, there's a lot in there, but one one thing that I kind of took a note down on was the idea of sleep. And so this is something that I just wanted to ask you because I know a lot of coaches deal with this too. Of um, we're in, we, you know, we have young people entrusted to us, and we have limited time. And a lot of coaches end up running like weights, weight room type workouts early in the morning, 5.30, What would you, how would you approach that if you were like a high school coach? Would you do early morning workouts based on what you know about sleep? Um, that's a tough one because you have to know yourself. You have to know your schedule, your limitations and everything. But sleep for myself has become a non-negotiable like it does not get prioritized over for the most part um i have to get seven or eight hours which some people listening are going to be like yeah right but (laughs) um that's just i don't feel the same i don't function the same i'm way more prone to panic attacks if i don't sleep well and i'm tired um and so it literally has just become one of those things for me where it's like I'm getting my sleep and there's not a whole lot that can come up. It need to be an emergency because if I do have something early in the morning, then my routine just changes the night before to a couple hours earlier. Um, where if my normal time's 11 or midnight and I wake up at seven or eight, well then if I have some at five 30 the next morning, I'm going to try to get into bed by seven 30 or eight, just so I make sure I give my body the opportunity to get that sleep. and that wasn't easy and that took time and it took my body getting used to it. And I've used melatonin and different things to try to help, but um, it became a non-negotiable because of the effect I felt it have. And it just became like, I love this feeling. I can't not sleep. (laughs) So that one became a big one for me. So to answer your question uh, for the coaches specifically is just be honest with yourself Um, what's your schedule usually like, where are there some places that you might, you know, not, not wasting time, but some things that can, um, kind of take a different priority. And so that sleep can move up on the radar. And if you know, you don't go to sleep till 10 or 11, a 5am workout, 
um, may not be ideal. Well, I when I was doing the the companion journal that goes along with the mental health manual, I kind of had a good good laugh when I got to the sleep section and it has like the it has like the sliding scale from like one to ten. And uh, you just kind of kind of grade yourself on the quality or, or amount or whatever, kind of how it's working for you in terms of how much sleep you get. And I was thinking, man, with a with a toddler, it just like, can I? Is there anything below a one that I can put on there? Because I <laughs> I feel like I haven't slept in two years now. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> we should have put a little disclaimer in there that um, once you have children. I don't have them yet, but Jim, the CEO that I work with every day at Jager Sports, has two boys, and he's gotten into an argument, a funny, just fun argument with Alan Jager, because Alan Jager doesn't have kids, and Alan said that if he did, that he would still get his sleep, (laughs) and the fire that comes out of Jim's eyeballs when he looks at him, like, are you kidding me? Like, you're not sleeping when you have kids, especially for those first couple years, because, which, that's where the child is priority, not the sleep. And so you just, you kind of got to sacrifice a little there, but yeah, that's a, that's a story that comes up often. It was on a drive down to San Diego and Jim, Jim's a pretty easygoing guy. And he was just so adamant. Like there's nothing you can do to get sleep with toddlers. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a a vision of an alternate reality where Alan ended up having children and him trying yeah. to <laughs> trying to to cope with getting no because he wouldn't get the sleep. I'm sorry, Alan. There's no chance. No chance. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But the journaling part of it has been really cool in the mental health, like the companion journal piece, because it it forces or forced me anyway to like write some stuff down that I I don't take the time out of my normal life normally to stop and like journal and everything like that. Um, I tried journaling a little bit with my teams a while back. Um, this would have been, uh, the off season of like 2018. I had a really cool group of kids that I'd coached for a while. So I was pretty close to them. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to try some stuff out on you basically. And they were awesome. Guinea pigs. (laughs) It's like all off season. Anytime we'd have hitting or anything, we'd also do, there'd be a journaling aspect of it where one of the stations would be, you know, they'd go from hitting against the hack attack and then all of a sudden they're sitting in chairs or laying on the floor, filling out their notebooks, answering different questions and stuff like that. And it was actually really cool because you'd be surprised at what teenage boys, and I'm sure girls too, but I I just have the lens through the boys' side, what teenage boys will actually write and openly sit down and do um, if you give them the space to do it. And so I just thought, man, the journaling aspect works not only if they're home alone or whatever, but when you're actually with them, you can have them sit down and write and they will actually like do it and get something out of it. It's really cool stuff. Yeah, no. And I, I appreciate that too. And my whole thing, like I wrote the manual first and then the designer, who's a great friend of mine, Zach Cole had asked me just about something more, you know, he's like, you, you've written books before this journal is great, but like, can we provide anything more? And I always talk about action. And I am a firm believer that ideas and tools are worthless if you don't take action. And so this was kind of a way of like helping the reader, helping the consumer. Like you don't have to look any farther than the companion journal to implement this stuff and to start kind of doing the mental work. Um, And it's beautiful because it's private. It's you and yourself, questions about each resource. You can write and uh, you can laugh at the sliding scale of trying to go below one 
when uh, you got a toddler and you haven't slept in two years. So um, it's a cool place to kind of hang out with yourself and explore what goes on in your brain. Um, because a lot of times we're just on autopilot and not, not digging around in there. <laughs> that word autopilot, it brought back. So I talked to a coach, Casey Clunder, uh, a coach in Iowa, baseball coach, amazing guy. I had him on the show actually way back when he mentioned autopilot and one of his like big goals as a coach. And he, he has this like in his team's handbook, he talks about with parents and players all the time is like trying to get every player to never turn autopilot on. To like mm. t- get away from auto response. I'd like never heard it before, but it was a really cool idea. He st- I can't remember where he stole it from, but the idea of teaching kids to get off autopilot and to get like present in the moment. And it was really cool. So just seeing that connection right now is pretty neat too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Autopilot, autopilot can get scary because years can go by and then you're like, wait, what just happened with my yeah. life? I, there was nothing intentional about that period of time. And then the, the the last thing I wanted to like specifically had in my mind that's like, hey, I want to make sure I ask him this too, because I think it's super important to hear. Because So uh, to, to backtrack, like when my student teaching was going on, I was at Glencoe High School in Hillsborough, Oregon, loved it. And uh, anyway, one of the teachers that was there who seemed to do everything, he, he pulled me aside one day because I was this, you know, 21 year old student teacher. And he's like, hey, just so you know what you need to do is say yes to everything your first five years of teaching. And then he goes, after that, you can start saying no. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, man. Sure. Uh, but in your, in the, in the, in the manual, one of the big things that you talked about was that sometimes we need to say no a little bit more often than we normally do. Saying yes to things you don't want to do And this, again, a lot of this is written from my perspective or just researching from a lot of smarter people than me on the internet and (laughs) in my experience and stuff like that. But the wrong yes can get you in more trouble than almost anything. Um, Because if you're already going into it uncomfortable, it can just do, it can wreak havoc on your mental health. And I was a kind of yes man, a people pleaser back in the day. And then... I just started saying no to out of necessity, really, when I was really going through my really bad panic attacks and stuff like that. I couldn't even think about going to a club with friends or doing anything like that. And so it became a necessity. But then as I started to work through the journey and especially professionally and, you know, (laughs) now we can do 20 Zoom meetings a day if you commit to everything. Mm. Um, And so I would strongly disagree. Um, I don't think there's. I know what he means where like you yeah. to get to, in a career and everything, but there's still um, strategic yeses and strategic nos. But um, that, that section more than any other section of the people I've sent the book to uh, before launch, that one has come up the most. It's very interesting because I think a lot of people can relate and immediately go back to a yes that they shouldn't have said yes to (laughs) or a period of time where they overcommitted themselves. And I went through this with Zoom in the pandemic. I got so like addicted to volunteering and talking to teams and helping and just that interaction because it was so voided from lockdown and everything. But I started doing three or four a day and I only it only lasted for about a week and I just felt just zapped at the end of the day. And my therapist was like, you need to set boundaries for yourself here. You you talk about saying no, and you're not saying no to anything. And it was like, oh, okay. So that one's important. And that one's, I think, also 
a tough one per, for people because they don't want to be judged and they don't want to not please people. I think there's way too much people pleasing and not too much self-love and self-pleasing um, where you just know certain things that are that need to be a priority. Like we talked about sleep earlier. If you need your sleep, don't agree to go to a movie with a friend at midnight if you have something at 8 a.m. <laughs> the next day um, because sleep's too important to your mental health. But um, the right people will understand your no's, especially if you explain to them why you say no. And the people that love you for you are going to be in your life, regardless of how many no's that they get. I don't know if you've ever, ever listened to Joe Ferraro's 1% Better podcast, but he had an episode once a while back that this kind of reminded me of. And it, I, I can't remember where he got it from. I don't have a photographic or whatever memories <laughs> required to remember all these things. But he, uh, his thing was like, if it's not a hell yes, you should probably say no. Mm, I like that. I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, cause I, especially in education and as coaches, we get asked, a lot of people ask you to do a lot of things. And I think just getting used to saying no and being okay with that is really good because I don't know, you end up saying yes to so many things. And then like you said, you're like zapped out or, or like you said too, if you already are like, I don't really want to do this. And then you agree to it. Then every time it comes up and you have to do it, like you, you like hate it. Like it becomes this just complete energy drain on you and stuff. Yeah, no. And you said something huge there for the listeners, getting used to it, getting used to saying no, because it's very difficult. It wasn't easy for me, you know, in 2015, when I was really struggling to tell my buddies no to things we'd done our whole lives. And they're like, what's wrong with China? Is he not like us or what's going on? And then, um, so that was hard, but just like everything, the more you do it, and especially if you're doing it for the right reasons and for your mental health or because you know you'll be more productive by saying no to this thing, um, it is something that you can get used to. Just anybody listening, just trust me from experience that I know at first it can feel difficult. And there's things with Alan and Jim at the office, you know, in a working relationship where you got to set personal boundaries and it can cause friction. There's stuff that's happened like that in the past, but guess what? We're in a better place today because of the no's that we said back in the day. So um, you can definitely get, get better at it and get used to doing it. And um, I'm glad you said that because that's a, a big point for people that might be a little afraid to say no. <laughs> One thing that will help is if you, if you buy a pickup truck and then just, it's a really nice, easy one because people will ask you to help them move all the time. And you just start, that's a good, good introduction to it. Of just, no, yeah. no, no. And then it kind of builds and you turn out okay. Cause I've had to help a lot of people move, uh, over my you life. Know where, it's not fun. You know where my head just went. Oh, Andy I, I Bernard do. Absolutely. It's asking Daryl for his truck to get the Christmas tree. Do you know, uh, I have a hookup with a dude who has a pickup. Yeah. We can't go there. Cause that'll take up the entire thing. It's <laughs> true though. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Say no. Uh, and so proceeds for the manual, I assume are all going in your pocket and you're going to get super rich. So congratulations. Yes, 100%. Um, probably gold <laughs> teeth would be the first purchase. <laughs> Tattoos. Um, a yeah. diamond necklace that's like the size of a 60-inch TV that says China on it. Um, oh, yeah. that's sick. Yeah, yeah, do it. So probably buy my dog a Gucci sweater. And um, yeah. Yeah. no, 100% of the proceeds. Um go towards mental health resources, my foundation, the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation. Um, a lot of the f proceeds go to continuing to be able to provide free therapy for people that, you know, don't have the means or the resources to get it themselves. That's where probably 90% of the funds that we've raised, they just go to 
pain therapist for the therapy for people. And then, um, yeah, if we ever have any extra stuff left over at the end of years or whatnot, we donate it to the ADAA, who's our partner, Anxiety and Depression Association of America, because they're doing, you know, the clinical trials, the medical stuff that's going to help advance stuff in the future. And they're a great platform as well. So, um, yeah, there won't be any gold teeth, 100%. I'm fortunate to have a great job with Jager Sports. So all of the mental health manual and the AAAD stuff, that's 100% goes right back into uh, the mission of the foundation, which is resources, awareness, and change for mental health. That's what's so cool about it is like it's not – not that there's anything wrong with getting paid for what you do. Like, that's great. But like to actually like legitimately, not only is the journal, if you choose to buy it, it's helping you out, but it's also helping out other people actually get connected to the very resources that we talk about. Right. So it's kind of a, everybody wins legitimately kind of a situation. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's uh, I'm going to write that down. That's going to be my new marketing campaign. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Before I let you go, I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, so gosh, I, I went to your website uh, a, a week ago, maybe. And there's a section on there that claims basically that if I click on it, I get to watch China on Twitch play video games. Oh, no. And I, I went and clicked on it. Like I was like, I want to watch China play video games. And you weren't there playing video games. What the heck? Well, you know, you just keep adding greatness to my life because that's old. <laughs> And I need to get that off the site. I do still play video games. No, no, no you, need, no, you need to use it. You need to play video I games. I know. I should. What's funny <laughs> is I, so I had a little channel going probably a few years ago now. And I got rated for the first time with like 100 viewers. Somebody, I, they, I think they call it rated. That's why I don't do it anymore. I don't know. Um, I don't even know. But yeah. I looked over <laughs> and I saw 100 people were watching me and I freaked out. This is someone that's thrown a baseball in front of thousands of people. I could do that. But the fact that there were that many people, I had like a panic attack. And no, it was my friends get kind of bummed out and a little bit peeved with me because they, they're like, dude, you'd be so successful if you would have just kept going because it was all about mental health. And so I would take a mental health minute after every game to just explain a resource or tell my story or different things like that. And um I'm just not the most technical person with like gaming PCs and it just seemed like something would go wrong, but yeah, I'm just imagining those back in the day. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't there for you when you clicked on to see some amazing Fortnite Uh, gameplay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, The funny thing about Fortnite is when I, when my players, when it was really fresh, so like 2017, 2018, I had never seen it or played it before. So I had this picture in my mind, like everybody's playing Fortnite. It must look like Call of Duty. (laughs) It must be really realistic and like everybody loves it. And then we went to a spring break trip in Boise and the guys being teenage boys brought their PlayStations and Xboxes and a bunch of TVs. They plug everything in. And so I go down the basement to hang out with them (laughs) and they're playing this game of like colorful bubble people and just the most ridiculous (laughs) cartoons I'm like, what is this game? And they're like, oh, it's Fortnite. I'm like, there's no way. And it turns out Fortnite was just a somewhat decently wholesome, just everybody plays it game. Yeah. I was really shocked at the time. Yeah, no blood. Um, you're eliminated, not killed. So yeah, yeah it's uh yeah, that that company, that run that they're on, um, 
I, I can't stop reading articles. Like I've, I've always been fascinated by their, cause it's free. Technically the game is free to play. You can download it for free. Um, but I've spent more money on Fortnite than I've ever spent on any other video game combined. And I've built two PCs because of it and bought a bunch of memorabilia. I'm just, yeah, it's just brutal. <laughs> game cost me more money than anything. So, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sure your fiance is very happy. No, she she couldn't she couldn't be happier. <laughs> yeah, me screaming in the other room for no reason because a 12 year old just eliminated me. <laughs> has Has Alan Jaeger ever played Fortnite? No, no, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he's played a whole lot of video games. I think uh, he was a big baseball card collector. I know that back in the day, and he's been getting into his his collection and he's got some special, special stuff. He just told me about that last week. Cause he, he had in a bank vault and he has some like cards from the fifties and sixties and yeah, he's got some special stuff, but no Fortnite for him. I don't no think, Fortnite. I don't think yeah. there, there is actually a meditation emote. So that would work for him. So yeah, you're like, uh, I wonder what his username would be. Guru mental guru 29. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Team team full sleep all the time. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Eight hours minimum. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh as always, man, love shooting it with you. Like it's great. It seems like we're just hanging out talking. Um uh, we covered a lot in the two episodes now that we've we've hung out together. I don't know if there's anything maybe we missed or something, but uh just you know, like last time, just want to hand the mic over to you and see if there's anything you want to leave people with. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Appreciate you and who you are and we've gotten obviously closer and have some good back and forth and just appreciate you and who you are and what you stand for. And, um, you know, I wish I got to play for you cause you're, it sounds like you do so many things for the right reasons and keep it fun and stuff like that. But for any of the coaches listening out there, I would just probably echo what I said last time, but mental health, a shift in your mental health culture, um, is easier than you might think with a tiny bit of effort, your players will feel a huge impact and yourself as a coach, you know, I think oftentimes as coaches and as people that speak to coaches and stuff like that, you always talk about what they're doing for the kids and you almost forget that the coach is a human being too. And, you know, prioritize yourself as much as you prioritize your players, because the more you do for yourself, the better human being you're going to be, for the human beings you're trying to develop. And so I would just, yeah, end with that. Just a strong message to coaches to just take care of yourself. Um, remember that you're human too, and you do need to um, say no to certain things for yourself, for your mental well-being, and then just take small daily steps with your players to let them know that the your place is a mental health safe space and um, it's okay to talk about what they're going through. And it's just another part of a well-rounded athlete is having a sound mind, just like you want them to have a strong body. Um, and it'll help you win games, which is, you know, how we keep jobs. So, uh, take care of yourselves and be the change for mental health in your, in your own program. I love it. Yeah. The coaching part makes a lot of sense. I, I definitely felt that and the, the draw to it after COVID and all the time I got to spend with my family of just remembering like we are humans too. And it's important for us to take care of ourselves and our families too. And by doing that, we're like you said, we're definitely better for the kids too. So uh, China, as always, man, <laughs> appreciate you a ton. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, 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 stop. Don't 
exit yet. If you could do a few things really quickly for me, I would really appreciate it. First, if you haven't joined the club yet, please do it. It takes about 90 seconds to sign up. You'll be part of the premier national organization of high school coaches, trainers, administrators, parents, players, and more. Plus, you'll get the weekly newsletter sent to your inbox every single Wednesday morning. It is totally free, and you can find that link down in the show notes. Also, if you wouldn't mind, it would mean a ton to me if you left a rating, possibly, if you felt so inclined, even a review, wherever you're listening to this episode. Lastly, a share goes a long way. Would you take a couple of minutes and share this episode on social media? Extra credit if you tag HS Coaches Club in any of your social media posts. Thanks so much. And a big thanks to China for delivering again. Back in episode 16, he was phenomenal. He even gave that guided meditation that you can use with yourself or your athletes. He's a stud and we're all lucky to have him around. Huge thanks to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode as always and China's Foundation, Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression for sponsoring the episodes in May. And of course, a huge thank you to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. It's okay, seriously. Uh, I've started booking some dates in June to hit that record button, and as schools are winding down across the country, it's the perfect time to send me those recommendations. And like I said, you can be your own recommendation. Uh, also follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mr. Max Price, and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, you're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.